Okay, this is Brent Leary, and with me right now is the CEO and founder of a company called, I love this, User Voice, and uh, his name is Richard White. Richard, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Brent. Now, uh, Richard, first of all, I need to congratulate Richard because User Voice was just announced the uh, CRM Idol 2013 winner, and for those of you who don't know what CRM Idol is, it's in its third year of pulling together a really cool group of uh, judges, or excuse me, analysts, and pretty influential folks in the CRM industry, giving them a chance to hear from upwards of 40 to 50 companies that are doing interesting things, de- developing platforms or applications that are going to or actually impacting the CRM space, and we're looking for the very best one that we think has a chance to have a huge impact at some point in time down the road on the industry. And so the first year, um, the winner was a company called Get Satisfaction, and the second year was a company called CrowdTap, and for 2013, this third year, it's user voice. So, Richard, first of all, let me say congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we're very honored, and uh, I'm very proud of our team. We've, we've done a lot of work in the last year that I think – without which we, we couldn't have won such a prestigious honor from such a smart group of folks like like you and, and Esteban and uh, Paul Greenberg and all the rest of them. So thank you so much for, for putting that together. Absolutely. So uh, if you would, tell us a little bit about what User Voice does, and if you want to fit in a little personal background, we'd like that too. Yeah, sure. Um, so my personal background is really what I call design engineering. Um, I am in the East Coast from North Carolina, which is actually where I'm talking to you from now because it's the holidays. Uh, so my background's mainly in startups. I worked in one of the first batch of Y Combinator companies, a company called Kiko, um, and then after that founded User Voice. And User Voice really came out of uh, my struggles as someone who was a designer working on uh, a SaaS application. And so I started working on SaaS applications that Y Combinator company back in 2005, 2006 back when SaaS is pretty nascent. And even back then, we really struggled with the same problem we're trying to solve with user voice today, which is how do we have conversations with our customers at what I call web scale, right? You know, SaaS companies operate with, you know, ARPUs much lower than retail and, you know, traditional businesses. It's not uncommon for a, you know, 20-person company to have, you know, 200,000 or 2 million users. How do you support those users? Do customer care? But how do you also go beyond support and actually know, you know, have a good grip on what our users want us to do? How can we improve the product? Um, because I think, as you know, in SaaS, it's really retention that's everything, you know, not, not necessarily acquisition. I mean, acquisition is important, but retention is what's going to lead you to build a really big business. And so part of retention is customer care and support, but a bigger part of that is building the right product. And, you know, a big part of that is really understanding how to get feedback from users and not just a vocal minority, but a representative sample of your user base and, and build the best product you can for them. And so we provide kind of a, a really holistic solution. We're, I think, a little tough sometimes for analysts to pin down because we do traditional kind of help desk and support. We do in-app uh, surveys, some you know, quantitative surveys like NPS. Uh, and then what we're kind of most known for is taking qualitative feedback and, and getting that vetted by your users. but So we do all that. We do user analytics. We do basically everything, customer communication and insight. 
So let's talk a little bit about a couple of things that uh, I, I thought were really interesting as, as I got a chance to learn about your company. Um, you know, the whole idea, and you mentioned the term in-app. I'm hearing more and more of that term in-app. Maybe you could explain what exactly does in-app mean, because some people may not be familiar with it. Sure. Yeah, traditionally, when you have a, you know, a customer portal, a customer community, you know, a, a survey, these things were always done kind of off-app, right? What I mean is, like, there, it's, a, you know, it's a separate site, right? There's a link in your footer that takes you off to another site, and that's where you get help. Or there's an email that goes out and it takes you a link that takes you to the survey and that's where you get your feedback. And our main problem with those with those kind of approaches is that we know that you know, if you force someone to click a link in the footer, if you take them to another site, you lose so much of your audience. And so when we're servicing SaaS applications, people are already living inside your application. Why can't we get them the help when they at the point that they're having the problem, which is in your application? Or why can't we ask for their feedback? directly where they're actually using the product that you, or the piece of the product you want feedback on. And so though we provide customer portals, you know, in which you can, you know, skin and white label and all that fun stuff, our goal is to make sure we really want 0% of your users ever going to the portal. We want 100% of your interactions to happen inside your app through a widget that user voice provides. And that can be a web app or a mobile app. Um, so, you know, if you're getting feedback, we want you to get an app. If someone has a problem, we want them just to be directly on that page, click a button, fire off a message, read a knowledge base article, you name it. And the, the interesting part about the in-app experience is the impact it can have on the, uh, let's say, the population of people that you receive the uh, uh, feedback from, but also the kind of the depth of the feedback. Maybe you can explain the impact that in-app has. Yeah, I mean, so one of the first things we built with user voice were these little feedback tabs to put on the side of websites. And we did that back in about 2008. And we built that because we found that people were just putting links in their footer that said, give us feedback. And the biggest problem we had was people clicking through those links and going off to third-party sites. So we wanted to give them, like, here's a brain-dead simple way to tell people you really care about their feedback. And so that helped. Um, but with our latest batch of feedback, where we're doing various you know, different kind of approaches to try to get feedback. And you can really think of these almost like single question surveys in your app. Um, you know, if you like this idea or this idea, how would you rate us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've seen in some cases basically like a 700% improvement in the percentage of users engaging, right? So because you know, what we find is when people have to have all this motivation click off to a third-party site, you're sometimes only get what I'll call a vocal minority, right? Only the super most passionate people will go off. And that may not always be the people you want to be listening to, right? Um, the people that are really angry or, 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 you know, maybe just your super early adopters, you know, maybe you want to say, hey, this quarter we want to focus on the feedback we're getting from our, you know, customers paying us over $100 a month that have been with us for six months. And so we spent a lot of energy, and this is why I called out our team in the beginning to really give them kudos, was we spent a lot of energy in the last year to, you know, improve the in-app experience so we can get, we get, you know, I think about, you said about 7x the number of people engaging when the, when the feedback mechanisms are in-app, and we get just as much depth of, of, of engagement, right? So we get just as many you know, pieces of content or pieces of feedback per user as we used to when sending people off the portal, but now with a much larger audience. And so we've seen audiences as large as 25% of an active user base giving feedback and engaging. Wow. Um, and like I said, that's, that's what you want, and then we're coupling that with an analytics platform where you can pass in hey, this is Steve. Steve's been with us for six months. 
he pays us fifty dollars a month. Uh, he is a you know he's an admin, not a super admin or something, right? And then we allow you to go, go into the back end and resurface and say, all right, what's my you know what does my satisfaction scores look like amongst free versus paid users, or you know what's the top piece of qualitative feedback about you know what features we should build next amongst like I said you know enterprise users that are under three months old, right? And so now you can for the first time ever we've been able to do a few things. One is get into that double digit engagement rates. We now can uh, drill into feedback and figure out you know you can decide what segments you want to listen to, and we can even now start proving the ROI of even doing these engagement where we can say hey look. You know, the average satisfaction score of someone who's contact you you for support is this versus someone who's not, right? Or the average uh, satisfaction score for someone or the average spend of someone who you respond to their product feedback and implement it is worth this. Um, and so it's kind of really exciting stuff. Um, we kind of look at the world of apps, and we see there's two primary things people are trying to are struggling with. The first thing is they're struggling with how do we just handle inbound support Right, like I said, we're a 20-person company, uh, and we have 100,000 users. How do we handle the, all of this inbound support? That seems to be what everyone's concerned with. I think that's why you see companies like Zendesk has been extremely well in the last couple of years really solving that problem, um, and that's why we offer a help desk product that competes with them. But beyond that, right, and obviously you want to do a lot of like in-app auto-suggested features, and we do that very, very well. Beyond that, I think the secondary requirement is every SaaS company you talk to is really struggling with how do I figure out how to, what to put on my roadmap? You know, the sales guys are telling me one thing. Our users are telling us something else. Our PMs are telling us something else. Um, or our marketing folks are telling us something else. How, is, how do you as a product person figure out what to do? And we're really trying to – we think that's the next phase, right? You know, the help desk stuff, we're still – everyone's still figuring out how do you stay on top of reactive support. But we want to do proactive feedback and engagement and really use that to really give you this what's – the, what's the topology of my user base and what show you're building and who's happy and who's not. And, how might how does that impact retention in the bottom line? So that's where we're going with this. Yeah, that, that was great, and 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 feedback becomes even more important, particularly in as companies do more or providing more subscription-based services. That means the impetus is going to be on the company to make sure that they provide these this ongoing value, so that people keep you know keep signed up. <laughs> And exactly. so I would assume as as the subscription services grow, that means that uh, they're gonna people are gonna have to really be in tune to what customers want, and that means being able to effectively get the feedback on a on a continual basis so that they can uh, take that information and create better products and services. I totally, totally get it. Now, one thing that you uh, you talk about um, from more of the support side is this idea of the importance of uh, response time even uh, more important than resolution. Maybe you could talk a little bit about why response time is so important, even more so in your estimation than uh, resolution. So you know, one of the things, you know, like I said, this, this primary concern everyone's trying to deal with is, you know, 3% of our active users at any given time are contacting us for support. How do we stay on top of that, right? And we provide them some ways to do that scale in terms of we have this thing called instant answers, which can, in some cases, we've uh, seen about 50% of inbound requests get, you know, an auto-suggested knowledge-based article or an auto-suggested piece of feedback from another user. It kind of will deflect that issue, and you don't have to have a live person respond to it. Um, 
and and we can provide context to, to the agent and stuff to make it so they can answer the question very quickly. But one of the things we found is once it does get to an agent, right, and they are responding to it, you know, in, in a kind of a web world, right, in the real-time world we live in, people will value expediency, right? They want to answer quickly. Um, now, people would always argue, well, incentivize people getting bad answers. Well, no, not really, right? Like, you could. Um, but so we don't really focus on – we focus on agility, right? We tend to work with these, you know, consumer apps, you know, like I said, who have a, a huge ratio of end users to, to support agents. And so they're not trying to come up with a process. And we kind of take this approach that we try to make as email-like as possible, and we have very simplistic kind of like open or closed state. So if you respond to a customer – we assume that if the customer still needs help, they'll contact you back, right? And this is different than, you know, the traditional model of resolution tracking and all these things, which does still make sense if you have very high ARPUs, right? If you've got customers that are paying you, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars a month, maybe you should take the time to follow up with everyone and make sure everything gets closed and everything gets resolved. But in a consumer environment, that's just not possible. That's not scalable. And furthermore, you know, one of our other goals when we do this communication, is just make it seem as personal as possible. Um, the traditional help desk is really kind of a gross experience. Like you were ticket 175, reply above this line, you know, and then you always, what comes with resolution times are these emails that say, hey, you know, it's, it's been 10 days. If, if we're going to close this ticket out. And I always say, who does that benefit? It benefits the company. Like I don't care as an end user whether you close my ticket or not, right? Like it's kind of insulting if you haven't solved my issue, right? Um, and so we just look at resolution times as being a very lossy metric. Like even the best case instance where it's tracked reasonably well, it's still not considered very good. Like take that example of 10 days later. What if my thing got resolved actually after the first message but didn't get closed out till 10 days later? Well, now your metric for you know, time to resolution is completely off. And so we've never really gone to a company that has kind of this consumer focus that's not you know, like I said, doesn't have customers that are paying $1,000 a month, and we've never seen them track resolution times effectively. We just don't think it's possible in the consumer environment. And so we said, what we have seen, and the stats we do show, because we track um, this thing called kudos, which is kind of like a, you know, in, in ticket, in, in thread kind of like satisfaction score, we track that, and we see that you get a disproportionate number of kudos if you respond within 15 minutes. Um, we simplify that into really the first hour, um, and so we know statistically that that actually matters and that responding quickly matters. And so in this agile world of support that we really try to support, um, we focus on response times and resolution times we think are something that is more of a legacy concept or more of a concept for when you have you know, a much smaller user base paying you much more money per person, and then maybe it's worth tracking. But for the average web app company, and especially for the average mobile app company, it's just not a good use of your your time and energy. And and so and and you mentioned kudos. Was if I recall correctly, is that the area where the customer is uh, basically saying, "Hey, this this person really helped me out," or is that another uh, piece of the puzzle? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah. So we do. You know, when you get an email, if you email a company using user voice, you get a response back from from Sarah, right, who's, who's in support. It will look like you're just having a one-to-one -one conversation with Sarah, with the exception of there's a link, like, did Sarah do a great job? If so, give her kudos. Mm -hmm. And we did this because the, the type of support agents, you know, customer service is a little weird. I said there's two worlds of customer service, right? There's, like, the contact center world, the call center world that's highly scripted. We work in a different world where, 
you know, what can be scripted and automated has already been done that. Our system does that for you. So by the time they get to an agent, the agent's probably, you know, fairly well compensated, fairly well trained, fairly educated compared to, I think, your traditional maybe call center agent, right? And so when we talk to those agents, and we know that even in that environment, those agents have high turnover and it's a very tough job. And we found that one of the toughest things for a support agent is kind of a lack of sense of accomplishment, and like how well am I doing? So we provide some basic gamification, and I, I honestly really hate that word, but I'll use that basic gamification, you know, around how many messages, messages did you send, and one of the most favorite points of gamification is this kudos link, because when they do a great job, they get notified inside user voice, and they get, uh, you know, that says, hey, you know, you got a kudos based on this from sending this person this message. Um, and support agents love this, just some acknowledgement that, like, hey, I'm, people do love the job I'm doing. Um, I know in our own company, we pipe kudos all into the main company chat room, um, and, and the support agents kind of, you know, friendly compete over who's getting the most sort of thing. And so that's how we balance out, like, you're going to respond quickly, but you're going to want to, like, try to, you know, get that first contact resolution. You're going to want to get that kudos. You're not just going to send some crap, you know, short uh, first message, right? You're going to try to be very, very thorough in that first message. So that's how we do that. Very good. Uh, before I ask you to uh, give people where they can find more information on the web, I, I have to ask you, because I've been thinking about this for a while, um, what impact do you think or what potential impact do you think Amazon's Mayday button may have on customer service going forward? Uh, well, sorry, Mr. Amazon's Mayday button? Yeah. So, so uh, on the latest Kindle Fire HDX, do you see the commercial where the people have the their uh, their tablet device, and then they hit a little button on the screen? It's their Mayday button, and and the, uh, a nice, happy, friendly face pops up, uh, at saying, asking what they can do for you, and and so basically the whole experience is it's a, a if you have one of these Kindle tablets, um, yeah, twenty four seven you can hit this virtual Mayday button that's on the screen, and within 15 seconds they'll get, you'll get connected to a, a support person, and you can actually see them on your, a little screen on your tablet. They can't see yep. you, but you can see them, and they can see what's on your screen, and they can take control of this, what's going on on your device and help you. Uh, and and you're starting to see the commercials, and that's actually one of the selling points that they have for the device, I, I have one, and I've played around with it. It's pretty interesting. Uh, the the mere fact that you can hit a little button and see a person, and they help you out. Um, do you think that's going to have any impact? Because you, we're talking about mobile service, and it's pretty much it's it's in app, but I guess it's more in tablet. <laughs> but do you see something like that having a potential impact on how service is going to be done in the future? Yeah, I mean, one of our primary pieces going forward is that you know, mobile apps are kind of three to four years behind the web in terms of customer care, right, and, and, and in-app customer feedback. Um, and, you know, no one's really put a lot of effort into it and for a couple of reasons, right? And up until about 12, 18 months ago, most of the revenue in app stores, um, and you're talking about retail, but most of the revenue in app stores was from paid apps, right? right. So once you bought the app, there was very little incentive for the company to try to support you, right? They've got your money. They've kind of got maximal value from you. Um, some of the larger apps, you know, might do some limited effort because they want you to use their other apps in their suite, but very low rates, right? 
Um, now in app, you've got, you know, everyone's shifted to free-to-play in gaming or freemium for SaaS apps. And so you have the same problem you have on the web where it's like only one in ten people are going to convert of all of your app installs to a paying version, but you don't know which one in ten they're going to be. And so you have to support all ten of them, right? And so that's kind of creating this demand for more in-app customer service. But the other thing that's going to create demand for more in-app customer service is things like this Mayday button actually raising the bar of people's expectations, right? Um, and, you know, we see how quickly we as humans habituate new technologies, right? Uh, you know, the, the iPhone is great for about two years, and then we're all bitching about, you know, how slow 3G is or something like that. And so I think what you'll see is, you know, gosh, look how great it is to shop on Amazon and have the Mayday button. Why don't we have a Mayday button on every website? So, you know, I think there's economic reasons why people are already starting to invest um, in better in-app customer care and customer feedback in mobile apps because there's market dynamics. But I think things like this sometimes have an even greater effect because they, they change the customer's perception of what's possible and what, you know, raises the bar on what should you expect when you go into mobile app. And I, I think the Mayday button is something you should expect, right? I should expect just as good service as I get on the web, or maybe even better in this case. Um, so and thankfully, vendors are finally coming around this too. Um, app store policies over the last couple of years also made it really hard for vendors to produce you know, libraries and, and things that you could easily drop into an app to enable stuff like this. Um, but some of those have loosened up, and so the vendors now can actually provide some stuff, which I think was another limiting factor. Uh, but still, like I said, mobile apps are, like I said, anywhere three to four years behind web in terms of you know, penetration of these types of technologies. Had a great conversation with Richard White from User Voice. And, Richard, where can people learn more about what you guys are doing? Uh, UserVoice.com. Um, so we've got all of our stuff on there. Uh, if you're also interested in these topics, we run a conference twice a year. Next one's going to be May in, in Chicago. It's called User Comp. And it's a it's a one-day event, really all about, you know, we bring together the, the smartest people in customer care and product management and, and get them talking about these topics. Um, it's a super awesome event. Like I said, that's userconf.co. Uh, we run a website around, we run a kind of a, a, a digital kind of community on that as well. We're going to have to get you to come to Atlanta uh, at some point in time. You're, you're, you're a local guy. If you're if you're from the North Carolina area, you got to come to Atlanta and, and help us out with some of that stuff, too. <laughs> Absolutely. More than happy to. Very good. Uh, once again, uh, really glad to, to see you guys uh, doing so well, and, and congrats on winning uh, the Sierra Idol 2013 contest. Much deserved. Thank you. Can I throw in one more stat here just on the end? Absolutely. So one of the things we did going back to this mobile and, you know, the, the kind of the rise of mobile customer care is we – we actually did a survey where we had people install the top 1,000 iOS and Android apps, actually the top 1,500 Android apps, and and see and kind of categorize which of them had any kind of in-app help, right, or in-app customer feedback at all, just like any link at all. Um, and we found that only 15% of them did. Only 15%. These aren't, you know, you know there's lots of apps. These are the, you know, the highest paid, highest grossing, highest downloaded apps. Only 15% of them and any sort of contact functionality, um, wow. which is if you compare it to the web, if you look at the Alexa top one ten thousand um, on the web, it's eighty four percent. Wow. The other thing that was really stark was that if you look into look at free apps or free to play apps or freemium apps versus paid apps, zero percent of paid apps had any contact link, which kind of supports that hypothesis of 
you know, once you bought the app, were pretty disincentivized to care about your experience. But the the rate was 40% for freemium apps. Wow. Still, ha- half of that of what you'd expect on the web, but, you know, much better. And obviously, the mobile market is moving towards premium. Um, and the, the, the ratings were different. Um, you know, we saw an average rating for an app that did have in-app support was uh, about a quarter point higher than ones that didn't. Wow. Um, so, yeah, food for thought. So this we think we think this is going to be a big opportunity over the next year. Uh, why we built out this year, along with all that in-app feedback stuff for the web that I talked about, we built out basically an, an iOS SDK and an Android SDK. So anything you can do on the web with Teacher Voice, you can do natively in-app. So I thought those stats were, were really fascinating. It took, a, you know, install, it took a long time to install those apps, but I think it, it, it definitely supported our hypothesis there. Well, I'll, I, that was some great information. If, if you don't mind sending that uh, report over to me, I, I would really appreciate it. That's some awesome stuff. Um, uh, so once again, thanks for for uh, this conversation. There's tons of great information, and I totally agree with you. I think we're at the tip of the iceberg with this, and over the next several years, companies, I guess, they're going to have to figure out the strategy and the logistics in order to really make an effective experience with this, and you guys helped with it, so that's great. Yep. Thank you so much, Brent. Okay. Hold on. i got to stop the recording here.